Welcome back to another episode of Hit Refresh Podcast. So, it's been a while, it's been a while. We have had some normal episodes by now. And uh, finally, we have a brand new guest episode. So, uh, we usually you people look, you know, look forward to this. And this time we have an amazing guest. We have Niharga Gorpade with us. And before, you know, we get into the introduction, uh, let's just, you know, say hi. How are you, ma'am? How are you? How's everything going? I'm good. ஆட்டோமோட்டிவ்ஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ்ட்ரிஸ
there was an age factor you were eight and nine and you'd got into it it was fine but by the time i had the time to do motor racing i was already out of my icse etc and i was in a boarding school in north india so it wasn't feasible for me it was a holiday thing my brother got into it more seriously and yeah um so uh, that's how it started for me at the age a very young age and um, then yeah then from there then obviously um i had done my um i wanted to be into the media and broadcast that time there were hardly any bachelors in mass comm degrees apart from bombay chennai and bangalore uh, so i think after my 12th grade i went on to a university in australia uh did two years there didn't quite like it came back and then by then there were some universities here so i just took credit transfers for my subjects and completed it in pune so then i had done my mass comm and then um, i knew that my assignments were grad you know the student assignments i used to do is to gradually go to formula 1 and they used to slowly go to you know football f1 and mostly it was like motorsport because i knew that was a subject i could talk on endlessly or write on endlessly and i could literally throw it there without uh, even um, having to research because i knew the facts the history the stats of the sport by the time i was a 15 year old i could narrate the whole thing uh, pretty well so um, let me know when i turned 17 18 and then uh, obviously the graduation happened and after grad my um, college had said like uh, what do you want to intern with pune was a automotive hub and i was in pune for a long time so then um, i think it started with my first intern when i was 22 with overdrive magazine yeah so then there was no female journalist so i was one person in a whole male atmosphere at a very young age so yeah it started with that and um, yeah 2015 f1 happened uh, but uk magazine gave me that break um i started freelancing with them for one year i developed uh, enough of a resume then they gave me four or five races i did in um in 2015 and then 2016 tokyo india happened and then i had college times in uh, in the gulf so then uh, i had to do this on a freelance basis it also happened because uh, of the nature of the job that required so much travel you cannot sustain another desk job now i can at that age i could So yeah, by the time I turned thirty, I think I had enough publications to my hand, both national, international, and uh, yeah, that made the difference. And uh, today, I'm not like obligated to do. Uh, I can stick to one place, and I can diversify even within that sport. So yeah, that's been that. That's been a long journey with just writing about this. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm like, and it it grows so fast. Like you're mentioning Top Gear, Khalid's times, and like just so casually, yeah. and we're like, wait, that's that's a huge deal. <laughs> and it's yeah, but amazing. Top Gear India, uh, I had a column with them. I was 27, I think, or 28 when I was a columnist with them. I used to give them a F1 diary, which re- people really liked. Uh, I didn't know many people were reading it until two or three actually came up to me to Bombay Airport and actually got it signed. So I'm pretty sure I don't have a copy of that PDF of my first column, but they might just have it. And uh, we had an intense season that year in 2016 with Rosberg and Hamilton. That had ended, gone down to the wire. So there was a lot. There was Vijay Malia then in the sport. There was also Monisha Kaltingborn was another Indian. Uh, so we had a lot of people uh, with from India, Indian origin uh, in F1. So publications still had that demand for F1 content, and I think Top Gear backed me up right up to 2018. Uh, so it was really nice doing that with Top Gear. And then I had College Times from the Gulf, which is also a newspaper that talks about India. It has Pakistan, Sri Lanka, yeah. I was even approached, in fact, by a Pakistani newspaper, and I was quite happy because they were so proud that there's a you know female from the subcontinent yeah, yeah, yeah. there. So yeah, oh, um, that is that. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. So one question that we have is that you, as you've mentioned, you interned in so many places, and yeah. uh, you know, like media, uh, Sakal Media Group, Info Media, Adin, Overdrive, everything, all of those have been mentioned. So yeah. what are some key things that you've learned through internships? Then uh you know otherwise studying in college and do you know doing the pro- projects and everything okay so a i used to always know one thing that the theory when when it comes to media schools the theory is important because i think i uh, i don't know how it works now but when i did my course it was i think the subjects were 70% uh they were uh, there were some subjects were just 70% assignments and 30% um theory exam Uh, not all of everything depended on the assignments 
okay. uh, journalism subjects were uh, like that and i think it's a strong command over the language which these days i'm not seeing many people do is um getting this neutral tone to the way you pronounce words non stop uh, testing yourself or you have diction classes where you learn how to speak yeah and you uh, there is a certain uh, voice modulation and things like that that you have to start with that at a very young age if it's broadcast you want to go to yes that you have to do and if it's print it's also a style of writing it has to be versatile enough to uh, suit features and to suit um, uh, your hard news style of writing so uh, there's a magazine style and a newspaper style and you have to variate between the two and i had learned to do that at a very young age because i was already um i think i was 15 years old when i had already started writing articles for times of india uh, kolapur had a office called kolapur plus and uh, we had a times of india office here that it just opened up so i was actually writing for them um and um, i had written about two three articles on civic civic reporting to just get the style right and um, that 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 time that was straight after my 10th standard boards so writing is something that comes with in speak ribs and it it's something you can't ignore where um, that is one thing that even in your internships that comes next as sakal times was a place where i had interned in 2009 and they actually i got accredited with them in 2019 back again so it was a very <laughs> so, different journey yeah 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 10 yeah, years uh, later but um sakal times um, it said that the group uh, lost its english newspaper but um yeah uh, with sakal times i had um, i was that was one of my interns when i was graduating in 2008-9 and internships i think you shouldn't go in for the free ones where you are literally made to fetch tea and coffee that's very very important um it should be something meaningful and i remember i had uh, about after i came back from australia i think i had only four semesters or five to do because i had already completed four semesters there so it was shortened my degree I had taken credit transfers, but between the time that I had free, I was uh, interning almost between every two semesters, either with the NGO or something or the other. And your interns can be diverse. Your internships can be diverse. Uh, my college had some ridiculous rule where you had to do two NGOs. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, but it, but it was actually good because it was actually teaching you about values of life, and it was about uh, it was about a lot of different things. So I used to go to people who had NGOs, family, friends, or whatever, and just work for one month, two months there. But we had to write something on it. We had to do a project on it too. So I think those kind of things, writing projects. Um, I think writing is something. See, I'm a failure. Like my maximum experience, more than speaking, has always been writing. Uh, there was a long time in my um, career where people wanted. I, I was also recommended that why don't you make the switch to broadcast. and broadcast is something i've always wanted to do but i was not sure whether i wanted to give up writing because i love writing so much and uh, by the end of the day i think that is something that is a personal choice that uh, a student has to make what you're good at your strengths hiding behind print also makes no sense because print is not paying well today so you digital is better but then again digital also has no space restrictions so you have to see it that way so like your question that you said internships internships teach you a lot and with writing the only way at least in the writing profession that the internships are the only thing that is going to count yeah those are very important okay so what i understand is firstly you got to practice endlessly and i guess because yeah. you have so much exposure in such a young age itself that has yeah. like you know totally boosted your skill set in the beginning itself and yeah and i see my resume at some point by the time i got my degree in hand there were already a good number of publications on it and big uh, not small time writing um, internships exactly so there was already a huge 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 um, gap and then i had also passed out during the time when india had a, i mean the world markets had recessed so packages weren't great 2008 2009 so at that time um, a paid internship made more sense for me than a paid job uh and um, yeah we've seen those market recessions uh we lowered our expectations financially a bit to what we would gain but that experience that whole grill actually prepared me for something this good at some point of time and now when you see the results of it um yeah it is what it is so and it and it is impressive <laughs> is what it is and it's amazing yeah, yeah. so 
such a you know glorious career i would say and there has to be you know as you were as you mentioned as well like you were like the only female at so many uh, places and so many uh, yeah. stages of your career so what are some hardships that you felt i wouldn't call them hardships or you you need to i guess elaborate on that but yeah, what I, is I, something I, that you learned from that yeah so one of the um, i think one of the internships that i was in there was a male colleague he didn't even know how to drive a car properly but he was good at with bikes but i remember an editor literally telling the two of us she's a girl let her do the motorsport thing uh, she remains an intern we'll hire the boy because we can just diversify him to cars i'd already learned how to drive a car by then i was driving back and forth and that person had never driven me on a bike but he was hired because he was a boy and i had to probably um, i mean the one thing that we noticed back back in the day was if you were female there's there is gender differences in this field because it's male dominated it's going lesser and lesser 10 years in from uh, 2010 to now and you see the whole difference um, i mean uh, it's been a long time to 2010 to 2022 it's almost 12 13 years uh, it has changed there are, uh, i mean these work environments are more female friendly but there's always that bias so that bias can be very um, if you're mentally not strong enough to kick it up and you know say not take no for an answer the one thing that helped me was i never like i mean i never took no for an answer i was persistent and relentless with it no if he can do it i can do it simple and it didn't stop me um, i remember that editor even saying that oh we are good at what you're good at what you do but we like a male dominated workplace we are free where we are free enough to be ourselves with you we have to be held back and um, we have to be careful with our language in the workplace etc this is an indian work atmosphere so yeah and um, they they were like we would hire you but when you are a girl that's why we won't hire you today i think it's illegal to say that to anybody in their face yeah so the things have changed you don't you won't get the same thing but at that point i think many would have said um, oh don't do this you know there may might not be why you're persisting in a line that is so male dominated but i could have done fashion food i love those departments too but i knew i had a natural knack for this and i believed in it and um, i believed i could you know do really really well in it because i think i think 2010 11 i think when the grand prix started i kept that as a goal so i had kept it like no no the paddock life is my life and that i had made up my mind about almost 7 years before i started came into f1 so yeah the, the, so it's like if you have a dream you should find ways to you know persist and be relentless you don't give up till you get the result that's Definitely. more or less the and and i guess if you like when you tackle such situation it also empowers you at one point and you know yeah it, it does yeah it's so amazing but It, uh, it always disturbs you to hear these stories, but I, I'm just you know happy how it panned out. No, it used to be we used to even see a pay scale difference at the Indian level. There was a lot of gender discrimination in a workplace. Yeah, we'd also see pay scale levels. Um, uh, the other story was to be that um, as a female, you had to work triple to even get noticed as much as your male colleague back then. um uh, as a female colleague you have to work three times harder to make um you know to be even uh, come close to being noticed or uh, and that somewhere you have to triple your efforts so tripling your efforts 10 years down the line becomes an effortless job it's a habit now that's, so you don't need it. it comes like your and your efficiency is much better than them 10 years down the line so at that point i could have frowned and cribbed but somewhere along the lines i knew like okay at some point If I'm so used to this grill, this grill is going to be made me better at some age than my male counterpart at what I do. And um, yeah, today I see a lot of. Uh, I mean, even I, when I came into F1, uh, when you talk about gender, there were very few women in the press room, and let alone. Um, I mean, the number of women in the paddock was very small, and um, today there are more. Um, also, it was a Bernie era. After Liberty Media took over, F one F one changed in two thousand seventeen and eighteen. So it became a more comfortable atmosphere. We saw more women being integrated since two thousand seventeen, eighteen, and the numbers have grown. Grown, and now they actually have dedicated campaigns towards, uh, you know, uh, equalizing the numbers. So um, now it's a much more uh, welcoming atmosphere as a female um, than it would be at that in, the, in that era. 
so yeah these are these are some of the challenges but you also have to take it on your chin um i feel at some point you have to forget the gender bit if it's in your head somewhere in your reality is going to poke you around the thing is you have to eliminate it out of your own head first this is stop making getting in your own way sometimes you know when it comes to pursuing your goals so um the one thing that i never really cared about was gender i didn't care what the automotive editors or whoever i worked for referred to or you know the treatment i was getting though i was made to feel i'm female i never really cared about it um as like i'm as equal as them i don't think they'll see me in fact anything stopping me so and that that's amazing yes that yeah, is so yeah yeah i guess that's that's firstly i guess a lot of you know uh, female listeners who are there i guess they can you know take some inputs and because in I fact guess, on a lighter note yeah. there was even something there was a time where i i remember my parents used to ask me they're like how do you even like this in a work, male work atmosphere i think at some point motivating yourself and trying to empower yourself i think i seriously got a superiority complex against the ladies <laughs> and they got to the other extreme and back yeah. when they had to my family had to level me down like whoa equality means both genders are equal not one pushing the other so yeah yeah at some age at some yeah. point in my 20s that must have happened for sure oh, yeah i mean it 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 makes sense for it to happen but uh, yeah. i mean for sure it's it's a great story though it, it's uh, the yeah. how you've come from all that you know facing everything so coming to like f1 uh on a, i guess on a lighter note as well that you see you know as you are in a in the paddock you are you know you're f1 journalist uh, you see yourself analyzing the race and everything and uh, it's i guess it's safe to say that you're a professional analyzer at this and uh, you know you see all these fans you know saying uh, x y z about what some incident that happened so does it annoy you to at some extent that you know like you guys are not even looking looking at the whole picture or you guys are you know making a yeah, fuss yeah, about it and do, what is your yeah on twitter it does um on twitter is very easy that way social media yes uh, fans do not have the whole picture uh, indian fans on the other hand i won't blame indian fans because the coverage of the sport in this country has been very weak i think when the grand prix went away at least when the indian grand prix was there you had um, i think you had a espn star sports coverage where you had a pre show a post show uh, you had a lot of explanations a lot uh, during the you had a lot of this driver parade interviews you had the starting grid you were getting to see the fly pasts the um, starting grid ceremony which is a whole one hour program almost so um yeah um, right now i think um f1 is picked up now after a long time in india in the last four years and then then uh, the indian fans also denied good coverage f1 tv happens to be geo blocked a system they are sorting out i've spoken to them quite a few times asking them that but um yeah i mean f1 tv is not available so that extra amount that you need to know i mean an indian fan he has to resort to say vpn swing a vpn or whatever and or they are need to rely on youtube content which can be very mixed it can be biased it can some can be unbiased so i mean that is uh, where uh, they don't get the fullest picture and as far as um, yeah sometimes fans go rattle off on social media but um, you do get annoyed extremely annoyed because i've done this for all my life so i'm not going to take that away <laughs> yeah. but i yeah. think sometimes you i think there comes an age when um, you learn to agree with someone saying 1 plus 1 is equal to 5 very calm <laughs> though it might be 1 plus 1 is equal to 2 yeah, but what's yeah. made peace with that person yeah so, so it's like that Uh, no, I understand. Like I, I remember as a kid, I watched like Sebastian Vettel on NDTV or something when he came for the Grand Prix, and and he won the Grand Prix. So it was it was amazing. At then I didn't know, you know, Sebastian Vettel was the Sebastian Vettel. But I was just like, hey, is this some German dude on TV? And like, yeah. and that's all that is. I get. I don't think I've ever seen like F1 on TV. I've always watched it on my laptop or phone or you know we hooked it up to the TV. Yeah. But it's always been that way. So I guess yeah, I completely agree with that. that the information isn't reaching people it's reaching through or via things so yeah. that's bound to happen but yeah so i guess like still uh, at this point if i want to read about f1 or something you know like max and lewis had a tussle recently so if i want to read about it all i can do is google that and whatever comes yeah. is my source so exactly yeah. so that's it and i'm this is a good segue as well so my next question comes to um, you know you you got to mention drive to survive you can't you can't not mention that so yeah. 
it's it's made a huge impact and uh, with the journalist's point of view as well i mean you you hear will buxton say something very profound such as you know if you want to win an f1 race you have to finish first and there's a dramatic pause and you know all of that happens so as a journalist firstly does that annoy you but even like you know we'll get to that later but firstly does that really annoy you to see that like come on man i could do a better job than this yeah i mean um, some of it has been dramatized and there was a bit too much of the narration but i mean that <laughs> the series has been made from the point of view to dramatize the sport and i think this year it is um, drivers uh, had spoken to St- uh, stefano domenicali uh, saying that uh, they didn't want those staged episodes they didn't want any more dramatized content because they were being portrayed in bad limelight and some of it was also getting to the uh, you know so t- today in these days we also a lot of characters were getting villainized and on social media now we have a completely berserk audience it's social media is a lawless place but it becomes a tribunal and judge and jury for things by people with fake profiles or uh, trollers they can't be the judge and jury to everything happening in the world yeah, or even happening exactly. in formula 1 for that matter <coughs> so yeah um F1 went from its cashless king to fairness king policy, <clears throat> but I guess it's going to have to draw a line somewhere on uh, adopting another approach somewhere because uh, Drive to Survive fans uh, they liked the whole drama. So even when their perspective of viewing the sport is a bit from the dramatic angle, they want that drama. And if the race is boring, they won't uh, sit to say, "Okay, this is my, this might be a boring race, but let me just understand how tires work. What is the commentator saying there?" Uh, why is that man saying this? Why is that man saying that? We don't see Drive to Survive fans want to watch a FP one, a FP two, a FP three, a qualifying. Agree. It's qualifying race. They will, but the first three sessions they won't. So you are basically missing quite a bit of the build up to the weekend. And I mean, Formula One is man and machine. It's fifty fifty of the two. Without the two, without one, the other can't happen. So. or it would be horse racing right even there you have a horse you have to understand um, uh, horses to be there but so if you're not understanding cars then how would you understand car racing or motor racing and uh, that is very very important that's why when i had done my internships i kept stuck to automotive magazines one to get the technical sides the technical uh, bits sorted on how to write on things that are very technical so i went through that grade and uh with drive to survive i think the fans uh, tend to be a little reactive so yes it was a bit annoying to see that series but the series has really given f1 the other the good part of it is that series has given formula 1 it's um it's given it formula 1 really it's really uh, broke uh, helped f1 crack into markets where it couldn't before like the american market it's helped uh, indian fans return to the scene it's uh, helped an average fan understand there's also a fight happening in the midfield and at the bottom of the field it's not just about the front these are things i think that f1 fans were unaware of so yeah drive to survive has done good yeah but at the same time i think this year they have reached an agreement that the sport has to be interpreted in the proper limelight and a drive uh, uh, the only thing is i just hope d2s fans understand that this is a transition season you aren't supposed to expect laurels on uh, of this from the sport not this year exactly because you're also getting out of the pandemic getting into proper conditions yeah and things are just coming back to normal yeah. like last season was just lucky that we got a bumper grand prix and a bumper championship but this year might not be like that the new rights the new rules those rules have not been brought in to stop drivers those rules have been brought in to actually level the playing field yeah, exactly. which is uh, you know uh, bring um, the smaller teams um, should be able to race and have within the same budget so there's a budget cap and uh, the aerodynamic rules were brought in to allow more racing more overtaking better cars because they have to go in with the automotive technology also and they don't want to go all electric and so that's how it is No, like it's it's so difficult even now to explain to a friend why I'm celebrating because my you know the driver I was choose you know uh, I was rooting for got like a seventh position. I was like, yeah, dude, it it matters, and you know it is actually pretty Ooh. cool. And no, it was so many. Okay, so who who 
who were you rooting for? So many times I was rooting for Norris and Ricardo, McLaren fan here, but yeah. now I'm biased. Yeah, okay, Ricardo. Yeah, 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 he was seven, right? Yeah, he was seven, so I was happy yeah. for him. Uh, but now I'm biased, so because I'm you know interning at Mercedes Benz, so I'm representing the brand now. So now, now I'm now I'm okay. more Russell, and I was Russell before. I well, hope you're not like the Mercedes Bhakt fans we have. No, <laughs> like, no. Between them and BJP, Bhakt's rolling yeah, there's no, there's no difference. Oh no. So no, no, no. I, I've been a Russell fan since I guess he joined F1. So I was I was yeah. always pro Mercedes since for like at least 2022 because I was like Russell's there, and he's doing amazing for himself. So that's great, and. Yeah. That also brings me to one question. So, like, who do you root for usually? Who is your go-to team constructor so, uh, driver? So, one, I, I'm a journalist. I have. I know, but there has to be something, right? I, 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 I took this, I this into account. This year, I had a lot of hopes from Alpine. It's an odd choice for this. No. Last year, I rooted for Max. It's, yeah. Okay. Way before in pre-season, there were only three or four of us who said Max will be world champion, and we were right. Now, the way it happened, sadly, we can't really. That is not something we. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, we knew he would be uh, the front runner, and it was going to be a tough one because I mean, what Honda did last year, the way Red Bull brought a car to give Mercedes a fight, I think it was pretty commendable for a team that it doesn't have those budgets doing it, punching above its weight to that kind of a thing. Because Ferrari had tried so many times, and it didn't happen to compete against the Puffs. And this year, I mean, it also showed up the cracks in Mercedes as a team last year. With the off-track politics, all of it, and uh, this year I think um, Ferraris. I love their car. I'm really keen on seeing how that evolves. And uh, when you like aerodynamics, that's something I love. And um, I became a, aerod- a fan of aerodynamics um, thanks to Mr. Newey and the Red Bull domination in the um, 2010s. That I loved. And uh, when it comes to aero, I actually started reading books on it. Um, one, the one industry that I really loved was the aviation industry, which teaches you a lot. It's very similar. Uh, the yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I um, the one thing that I like seeing is the aerodynamic evolution of cars, and I think the Ferrari has a lot of potential by next year, next next year also. The Red Bull and them are the only ones with a certain concept. This year, I'm, I want one underdog, and I like. For an underdog, I think Alpine would be that one because um, Fernando's pace in Montreal. I heard Otmar Zafner's interview. I just published it about a while ago. Um, he actually said that the computers couldn't tell you why Alonso was so quick in Montreal in the wet. Yeah. <laughs> and in the end, if he hadn't got that penalty, he had a water leak. He had a leak in his engine. That's why he had two. But it was not bad enough for him to retire. So and the penalty got him to ninth, if I'm not wrong. Oh, he would have been up there. Yeah. So I, I don't know. He is driving amongst the three world champions. He is on a different level with his driving. I think the car has to come up to his level. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, this weekend they are bringing in a new floor. So I'm very interested because now we've finished all the street circuits, which are a gamble. Baku is a gamble. Mon- Monaco is a gamble. New cars or old cars, these two circuits are always a gamble. You don't put any textbook predictions there, so yeah. And we had Montreal, which was a very bumpy circuit. Again, a lot of skills. So that was going to be a little predictive, Montreal. But um, yeah, um, now what I see happening is Silverstone, Austria, France, Hungary. These are more traditional circuits coming up. So you will see a lot of the real uh, packing order on these now. Yeah. And um, from what I'm seeing with Alpine, uh, they've gotten an upgrade, which is very interesting. And I'm really waiting how that car evolves. And Aston Martin's become the green bull now, so you you have to set in a toss. Yeah. And the Alpines are competing with the Mercs. In fact, their target is Mercedes. It's, so it's... that's not a bad thing to see, where you have a French car maker beating a German one. <laughs> yeah. That has dominated for so long. That's F1's big story. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, this no. That's right. So Silverstone is definitely something to look forward to. Because and but yeah, the, I I agree with the thing. Like I always like to support the underdog. Twenty twenty one, me thought Haas would be there, but uh, it's it's. it's oh, even this year, I thought that. Yeah, I no. Like twenty twenty one, we got to know that they were working for twenty twenty two. So then my hopes yeah. were up, and I was like, you know what? This time maybe. And then Mazepin exited, and I was like. 
uh, you know, I wouldn't say celebrating, but happy. But yeah, Magnuson coming back was definitely good. And, and uh, Magnuson uh, coming back, I think in Bahrain, I knew that they would be um, somewhere in the back foot with their chassis development. Uh, initially, they looked good and then they started having problems. So what Haas has to do is basically get its act together. But they did bring the most developed car. They had. They were the first ones to throw the entire resources onto this year's program, and so yeah. was Alfa Romeo. Exactly. That's why Kimi didn't get a good car in his final season. So don't be. Uh, I mean, Bottas and Zhou were doing pretty well. Um. Yeah. But I. Uh, I think they've been having a lot of different issues. Uh. And that's not a Ferrari engine issue, by the way. A lot of them are very different, different issues. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, uh, yeah, so we had that and actually underdog, I went to the manufacturers this time. So I think Aston and Alpine, um, they're, they're very identical on their concepts. At least they're very similar side pods when I saw them in Baku. It's, everything is evolving in a very similar direction with those two cars. And they're going the Red Bull path of development. And um, if you see those two cars, I think um, I, sooner or later, I feel Ast- Alpine will come up. That's that's what me and my friend were discussing yesterday. So good yeah. that you know a professional agrees with us. <laughs> so but okay. No, and at some point, see uh, this year when these rules came in, um, it was never to be a uh, there, there wasn't supposed to be a packing order. We was expecting four five teams to go for the fight. Uh, initially, we felt that like there will still be a two team uh, two horse race, but later by the by the time cars develop and the development race happens with the technology and you know the cars start evolving. We know it might just t- turn into a three-horse, four-horse race. Ah, yes, we totally, totally get it. But coming to this important topic that I wanted to discuss is that how can people who are, uh, they're not aware of this uh, domain at all, how do they get into this field of writing? So if I want to be a writer, what are the steps to follow? How do I go about it? I think you can start with... With anybody wanting to become a journalist, you'll have to start with writing to newspapers, magazines, keep shooting up mails if they're writing opportunities. Try writing for contributory websites. Try starting your own blogs. That works. If a blog gets popular, you can monetize it. Um, You can start with writing. Writing is all about practice. So um, you have Grammarly. You can integrate that with your blog and get a few corrections done as far as it's UK English, US English. But as Indian, you have the advantage of keeping your writing style very versatile. It need not be uh, just, uh, you know, uh, it need not be uh, only uh, UK English based or only um, American English based. You need to switch with both formats at equal ease. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that is that is what I'll say that first let your writing develop as a written journalist. If you're print, you can always approach people. Uh, LinkedIn's a good place to find internships or find um, internships with uh, television, broadcast. Um, it's also a good place to find good writing opportunities. There's work for hire. There's freelancer.com. Um, you can sign up for those. You have to pass English proficiency level tests, I think, to get in there. And um, yeah, um, uh, these are places where uh, w- these are the ones that will really matter. You have to take up those writing jobs. Um, you, there's no age factor involved. What age you can take it up at. You can start with part-time, then go full-time if it is really for you. You have to first know what you want. And F1 is not just writing or journalism or being in the paddock. It is also, you have so many other jobs. There's marketing. Now there are even cryptocurrencies getting involved. Uh, you can do sponsorship. You can do sports management. Uh, you can run to uh, learn to manage teams. Those require basic management degrees. Uh, motorsport internships are all over there. There's a lot more opportunities now than there were there before. Um, you need to research it all and you have to give yourself a five-year plan and a 10-year plan where you see yourself now. For instance, when I started with Overdrive, um, that was 2010 or 11, I think. Yeah. Uh, So when I started with them, the five-year plan was five years, in five years or six, that is after five years, somewhere I have to be in F1. And by 2015, I'd met that goal. Then in 2015, the 10-year plan was, by the end of 10 years, I should have written for at least two, three international publications and Indian. I had done that. 
so um yeah that that is how you make a five year plan and a 10 year plan pandemic it interrupted but it didn't spoil much most of us who were writing publications tank so i made the switch from print to digital even i had to evolve with the whole uh, system and uh, yeah you need you generally need to plan your career it has to be step by step you have your own five year plan your own particular 10 year plan then you have to fit this there and you have to see like if you want to do it how are you going to go about it there are lots of resources out there how to know how to get into f1 if it's journalism then it's a lot of writing takes practice and that is um, very evident and i think with f1 you can't just be a normal journalist you have to get into the technical side of the sport it's 50 50 you have to understand that there's no one without the other or to be taken as a proper analyst or a proper person who understands the sport for what it is you have to understand motor racing as a whole know the history of the sport the statistics um the tires the chassis the engine development side these are things that also come along with writing on it the more you write on it the more you'll understand it the more you read about it the more you'll be well versed with it so yeah it's about uh, opening yourself up to a whole database of knowledge and it's about um, updating yourself every year with how technology evolves in f1 and actually the tech side i was from the racing background like you know so i had racing all around me but even for me i never expected myself i knew how to talk racing but i didn't know how um, i knew racing lines i knew what moves to make etc etc but the tech side of it is something i learned later I learned it as I progress, and I never saw myself as to being such a tech geek into like being a total uh, geeking it out everywhere, like wanting to know, you know, how aerodynamics works. But I'm not an engineering background; I'm a journalism degree holder. So I learned uh, along the way, and sometimes it meant talking to people who are engineers, asking them to explain it to you. I had a friend, uh, like I knew, I knew, uh, I met somebody who was a friend who was working with Boeing, working with uh, Airbus. um and was doing aerodynamics so i had actually asked that person how does this translate on an f1 car we have a front wing and a rear wing and this is how it works and then explain that airflow to me so it's like that extra effort that you take to learn more is going to help at some point then that's how your knowledge develops on any field not just an f1 is a whole range of it you have the glamour you have the entertainment you have the racing side of it you have the sporting angle you have the technical angle there's so much in f1 to write about there's no shortage but then again like you said as a student where do you start i started with internships i started with uh, first strengthening my base skill and then i combined my passion with my skill set so yeah okay so if i were to list out i would say practice then internships and then an inquisitive nature would be good and yeah a lot first, of writing no way- yeah but first and you planning. need to know like there's so many career counseling nowadays back in the day i did give a lot of those psychometric tests so whatever you have to decide what career suits you okay you know you have those when yeah, you're in 10th grade 10th grade or something i when i was in icse we had a lot of those from 7th grade to 10th grade my school used to just keep making us give them so yeah you understand why your iq is what subjects you're more inclined to at that age that really helps you shape your understanding be able to see what suits you maybe sometimes you make the wrong choice in 10 years down the line you completely change your career and become a entrepreneur for all you can yeah, but if you're so sure of f1 it's not a i i would say it's not a easy ride be ready for the hard work be ready you have to put in those hard hours for at least 5 years there were days when i used to go to office at 10 pm and come back at 10 pm or 11 or 12 and those hours i have given at the indian level before freelancing when it was all full time even now like when i'm i though i'm a freelancer it's a remote position i have my work shift so yeah there are days when i've written from 2 in the afternoon to 2 in the night wow okay so okay. uh and that uh, you know that that phase eventually goes away and um i have travel now i have jet lag in those states also like even when we are flying sometimes we are at the airport lounge or we are or we are in the air sometimes we just log on to the internet if we have the time if you are not able to sleep you will get to your laptop and work you're even working then you're working between flights when you are um, you're on layovers at an airport you are going to not waste that time or you have stuff to go on there are follow ups to do with a story or two sometimes you're submitting it from there so and plus jet lag involved you'll be might be just be exhausted at times i remember like due to jet lag i wasn't able to sleep in miami the first thing i did was call 
my editor and tell him like okay can you just give me some articles there's only so much netflixing i can do and uh, yeah but that, that 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 is how it used to be and it's always been like that now uh, i had the same thing with austin my first austin grand prix i'd already done my long hauls in the first season itself so in the first time i didn't know how to manage this whole travel jet lag or how your body handles it so much of travel a lot of flying in a lot of limited time because you have march to november when you're literally away for a long time so that and you have to balance work in between so now it's easy for me at this age it comes a little effortlessly but it it did take hard hours in the beginning it did take those 9 to 10 uh, shifts 9 in the morning to 10 in the night kind of work hours um it's unheard of abroad but in india sadly we there's eight hour uh, system everywhere here Uh, yeah, and yeah. our work day doesn't start at six in the morning and end at five in the evening, so we are in a different position. Ah, oh, this is completely, this is totally amazing. But firstly, yeah. but I guess all of those extra hours then totally count when you, you know, talk about skill and later it will totally yeah. reward you with all the hard work. Definitely. At that particular time, four articles, five articles would take me so many hours. at some point the same four and five articles took me only two or three hours tops wow okay yeah that got sense. it yeah. that is the efficiency level it comes to eventually so yeah so totally everything's worth it <laughs> and yeah it it, it you yeah, need yeah. the hard work earlier so that you get that yeah it does pay off yeah so that's amazing and a lot of it is worth. a mindset to be honest yeah. like i don't know how importantly they teach you this in colleges or they teach you this in internships but a lot of it is mindset and it's very important to have the right mindset when you're going into any field of work that is more important than the degree you're carrying inside that definitely agree with that so coming to another segment that we have is the audience segment because we want to you know we want to involve them in our episodes we want them to you know ask what they have in their minds as well so we you have been introduced to them so they have a few very interesting questions so let's see so the first question we have is because you are you know a fan of f1 from a very young age as well so what yeah. are some like questions that you would want to ask to like some idols of yours from you know back in back in the 90s or something like i don't know for like schumacher or senna or some prost or someone who what are some questions what that I you want would to ask, ask senna yeah if you gave um, give the chance yeah. in a very fan mm. yeah fantasy eton senna maybe who was his best rival Okay, interesting. And uh, who was his best teammate? Okay, it's a very interesting one because yeah. he also, ha- yeah. I would, I would say his teammate was his rival. Yeah, but not, for, not all the time. Exactly. Only McLaren before yeah. and after it was different. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, any any other person you would want to ask someone? Uh, some question. Uh, I think uh, Kimi maybe, but I, but but Kimi, I I I did ask him a lot of questions. Kimi was there, but when yeah. I for good four years when I was. But there. the question is, did he answer those questions? <laughs> did he answer them to your satisfaction? To his teammates or something like that. Uh, to Kimi, it was always how. Um, I mean, with Kimi, I used to be the one journalist who could pull out a little more out of yeah. him. <laughs> okay. So yeah, he'd answer a lot of my questions. So uh, with me. Okay. Um, I think Kimi was like, like he used to give a nice paragraph. I wouldn't get the one-line answers. Yeah, so I would. Paragraph is fine. yeah, that's a lot you can get from him. So <laughs> I guess that. Well, he was one of my favorites, by the way. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. he's. I, I yeah, same, same. That's all. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So going on to the second question, we have someone says that they have been pretty intrigued by photojournalism. So is something like photojournalism relevant in a field like sports, considering like F one or any other sport? and is it oh, like, yes. and what kind of you know how is it oh yes 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 photographers get paid more than us writers okay their one photograph can do a lot of wonders photographers are literally the wow. richest people in the press room okay and there are some um, i think there's one photographer kim milman if i'm uh, if you know formula 1 very well hmm. he's almost made a million dollar business out of his youtube channel plus the photos plus everything wow. and he does only lifestyle photography and the cars mm-hmm. but uh, he doesn't necessarily get involved into the te- technicalities of the sport okay and he has a very good youtube blog yeah which has i think a millions of users or uh, followers or something of that yeah. sort so yeah your photography does well uh, you have a lot of agencies lot of photographers 
in a spot like f1 uh, photographers have a very uh, good pay um, good job and uh, yeah they are much more productive lot uh, than mm-hmm. the journalists you can say they they uh, they have much more of a job security than us yeah, yeah. okay okay so the next question is yeah. why is in the indian government considering f1 as a good sport and is there any chance to get back the gp uh okay so with the indian gp there were a lot of glitches firstly a privateer had gone and made it uh, they had uh, attached uh, at that time they had associated or got taken that uh, years up uh, um and yes the even the promoters of the grand prix were privateers the track owners they the jp group uh, lost finances or when financially in a poor condition that's the reason the grand prix went out but the red tape and things like that are things that could have got sorted later i think when uh, mr rizu was sports minister or radhavan rathor was there that time they recognized motorsport as a sport so it's no more you know liable to uh, i mean it's, it, it, no you no more have to pay entertainment tax for that so there have been certain um, basically you need a good facility like both is good but it's out in the middle of nowhere and it's also in the wrong side of the country i think if you have something between bombay and goa coming up and you have the government into the fold on bringing a grand prix here and say the f1 and them end up uh, having a good deal over it um, i don't see the uh, formula 1 not coming back it just depends who wants to do it and uh, how they do it uh, the the road is always there to get a grand prix back or get the indian grand prix back we also seeing 2023 hyderabad's getting formula e so that matter that might be a good start exactly yeah it's very exciting and chandra babu naidu has always wanted a grand prix in hyderabad and f1 race that too so yeah oh, that was that was very good news to hear that so the last question for the audience bit is what do you feel is the true essence of being a journalist i think you get to be unbiased you get to always see both sides of the story and you will always know like a lawyer you'll be able to argue both sides of the story somewhere and the one part of the journalism thing is you get to see everything of everything and analyze it and even when you're judging you won't be too harsh on judging right or left you get to take that step back and not sound like a total fan uh, secondly um, i think with the kind of journalism i do where i'm the heart of the paddock i'm at the heart of the sport so obviously you know more than everybody else does and f1 is the only place where the media is like the a part of the formula 1 fraternity pretty much inside the f1 family because a lot of drivers haven't completed 700 and 800 grand prix but there are journalists in the press room who've done that i mean the longevity of your career is slightly your shelf life is longer than a driver's so yeah and that's a good part of it so and it's the best part in the world <laughs> why would you like it yes <laughs> definitely it is coming to the last segment of the episode this consists of two questions so we ask the first one first so what do you think as per you is one of your best mistakes and by this we mean is that you thought it was a mistake but it turned out to be something really good in my career what was the best mistake career life anything and that's a- i think leaving australia okay because i didn't complete my degree there i just did 2 years of it and came back yeah. that was my best mistake okay and why do you say so um because it put me back in the indian grind a i was facing a lot of racism incidents there and uh, 2005 6 were that time when indian students weren't in a comfortable place in that country and uh, i think getting out of that cocoon of you know you just go there take a degree learn do your pr i mean apply for permanent residency and only do degrees that apply for that i think that kind of um that i got out of that typical cliched system of doing everything like in a processionish way uh degree ke baad ye um you know you know going in that typical fashion of so many years of job x uh, work x then you do um you get into a business or you start something on your own that typical scenario of life that where you're told to do things like in a certain manner um i somehow broke the cliches there then um yeah a lot of people said you should have been in the fashion segment or broadcast um i went to print instead so that was one mistake um at that point i thought you know journalism doesn't pay that much written whatever but i made it fruitful for myself i did got paid decently well when i had international clients when i was freelancing i think the salary was good enough it was as good as any editor here actually 
So yeah, um, I think yeah, but I think Australia would be the highlight. Like leaving that country for this one, coming back home and being able to take a step back, analyze what I really, really wanted. Um, and that really uh, even the social grind and the um, I guess the educational grind you go through here is I think quite hard. But I'd also had that two years of exposure there, which really prepped me for F one exact ten years later. So yeah. I think the one year abroad should be like you know yeah. you shouldn't take be hard and fast on yourself with that one year masters or a year of your bachelors a year abroad that even students stateside do it American students go and do one year in Europe or something like that you should do it to integrate with different cultures know how the international system works but then yeah I um, that was I think that's a highlight of my life. Where leaving that and coming back was, I felt my best mistake, and I had given my SATs and not gone to the US. That is my second best mistake. <laughs> okay, so that's that's amazing. So the second question is because you know we are fans of the <laughs> movies and books, and you usually usually read a lot of movies or watch a lot of uh, read a lot of books and watch a lot of movies. So what are some movies, uh, books that changed your life or you know you know gave a positive impact in your life? Actually, I have a whole four shelves or five cupboards in the study full of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you'll have to ask me from the subject because I used to be like I used to gobble books by the day. What do you? What's on top of your head or top of your list? I I don't think it's comparable, but. So I my favorite subject or interest was uh, geopolitics. So um, I always loved. I think uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, his work Gabo. His work was one of my best. Um, it took you to countries like in literature. He was my favorite for a long time, my early twenties. Then um, you have Khaled Hussaini, who's written very good uh, books. Then um, uh, I think um, most of these journalists who had written about the Afghan wars, the Iraq wars, those were kind of books I loved. My father was a very good Frederick Fawcett fan, uh, so I had a I have a ton of Tom Clancy's in that. Between him and me, I think we've got the whole collection of the author. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there were a lot of books that I loved reading, and literature. I think just every but in literature, it's just everything. You go to grow up reading, and I was ICSE, so we had a lot of Shakespeare. Uh, so even Shakespeare, I didn't mind. So uh, that helped me uh, develop my form of writing more or less. That's so yeah, yeah. So the books were that movies, maybe not so much visual content. I still prefer books. Yeah. Uh, so I love the book, not the show or the movie. Yeah. Most of the times, yeah. you have that debate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That that's nice. That's nice. I'm pretty sure someone was like <gasps> when they heard that, but it's fine. <laughs> so that's. Remember, your a lot opinion. of people have that thing that you know the book was better than the show. Or oh the yeah, book yeah, was yeah. Okay. I am I am team book because now I've not I've not I've not come across a movie which has been better than the book yet, but I'm optimistic yeah. because I like movies and. I, No, I'm optimistic. That's it. So, but yeah. Actually, Top Gun was. Yes, I do agree with because that. Because I have the book from 1980, whatever. Yeah, but I've not read the book. That, so I, I have that's the original yeah, okay. book. Wow, that that is a flex. And it has a sticker on it. Soon turning into a Hollywood movie. Wow, that's very so, interesting. I should I should get my hands on that book now. <laughs> that's amazing. So the uh, first Top Gun movie. Yeah. I think my parents have watched it. Um, Being shot in San Diego at the Marine Base there, so for them it was very special. Wow. And I had it on a VCR by the time I mean I had it on a video cassette by the time I was a kid. I think that and Days of Thunder, two Tom Cruise movies that I've watched about twenty times plus. I watched the first Top Gun at least twenty times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. I guess. I guess my. Teenage, uh, okay, now I'm twenty. I'm not. I can't say teenage. Like it's yeah. not been a while. But yeah, like my, I guess thirteen-ish age. Top Gun was my movie, and Tom Cruise was he was the guy for me. <laughs> That and Mission yeah. Impossible totally changed my life. <laughs> but okay, not changed my life. But yeah, I mean, definitely made a big difference. But yeah. So thank you, thank you, Neharika. This has been amazing. This I I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. There are a lot of things that the audience can take from this, apart from uh, you know F1 facts and everything. Because I also want to you know take care of those people who are not F1 fans and maybe they explore yeah. F1 through this this episode. They're like, hey, yeah, wait. you can, you yeah. can explore F1 through this. Yeah. yeah. 
I heard a lot of things which I have no idea about, but that does very, <laughs> very, that's very interesting. I like that. So I will check it out. That, I hope that's your mindset you have and you weren't like, hey, I don't know what this is. And you got the, uh, you know, close the application. I hope you, I hope you yeah. didn't do that. So thank you. Thank you for coming, first of all. Thank you for the wonderful conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. So. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Apart from the part that we cut it out. Yeah, that, that's <coughs> but that's it's good because the lighting then is different, and the lighting now is much better. Yeah, so yeah. always some positive. So definitely. So this has been so much fun. Thank you. So all the links are going to be in the description. You guys can check it out. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll get you a new one next time, next Saturday. So catch you guys and see you in the next one. Frost.